Perfect. All right, let's open the word of prayer and let's dig into the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We praise you. We love you. We thank you for your word that it's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. We thank you for everyone who's here tonight, none by chance, all by divine appointment. We ask now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Uh, by, uh, quickly, I, I had someone let me know that they were praying for me today when I was uh, studying, so thank you, uh, Michael and, I mean, excuse me, Matt and Michelle. God bless you guys. Love you. Appreciate you. All right, so first, Second Samuel chapter 17. So here's where we are. Samuel, as we know, Samuel has, uh, this, this whole book has really been dealing mainly with the life of David. And we've seen that David is the same David who slayed Goliath, the very same David who, uh, you know, led his armies into mighty battles, is the same David who a few chapters back committed adultery. Not only did he commit adultery, he had multiple wives, and then he took a woman who was married for himself, Bathsheba, and then made sure that her husband was put to death to cover up his sin. And so it just blows us away when we read the Bible that David is a man after God's own heart, but at the same time, David is a man with a great amount of flaws. People often ask me this, why was David a man after God's own heart? And King Saul wasn't. You could argue that David's sins were equal to or greater than the sins of King Saul. Here's why. David repented and Saul didn't. Amen? And guys, we're all sinners, saved by grace. And all of us are those who need to repent. Amen? And it's because of repentance that we have right standing with the Lord. Now, what we have been seeing the last several weeks are the consequences of David's behavior. Because remember, Nathan shows up and he calls David out for the fact that he took someone else's lamb, he's using the analogy, took someone else's lamb and killed it and fed it to a friend. And what it's really pointing to is what David did. He took someone else's wife. And Nathan said, when he says, pronounces judgment on the man who did this, Nathan says, it's you. So then he confesses his sin, he repents, but the Lord tells him, well, okay, God showed him grace because he could have been stoned to death, he and Bathsheba together, but instead what he told him was, well, you're gonna, your son's going to die that you guys gave birth to, and the sword will not leave your house, which meant there was going to be constant conflict within his house. Well, we've seen God being faithful to that because in the last several weeks, we saw Amnon, Amnon, back in chapter 13, it was David's oldest son. And like David, he didn't know how to control his, his fleshly desires and his lust. He, had, he didn't control it. He watched his father's example, and he was following it. David, no doubt, took any woman he wanted. He's the king up to that point. And then we believe that maybe after Bathsheba, he put a stop to it. But he'd already taught his sons the wrong thing. And Amnon was going to be, he was the crown prince. So he was the one that was going to take David's place. And I have an idea. He was not a, a person who had been told no very many times in his life. We know from the text that he had, he lusted after his own sister, Tamar. And then he goes to Jonadab to get Counsel and Jonadab instead of rebuking him. By the way, if anybody in this church is lusting after their sister, we'll give you a slap in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen? I mean, give me a break, bro. Stop it already. But the reality is that you see how powerful lust can be because it causes people to do things that are so ridiculous. 
And so he lusts after his, his sister, he entraps her, he rapes her, and then what does David do? It says he gets angry and he does nothing. We talked about that in the, one of those chapters, we told the message, good king, bad dad. David was really good at leading his men into battle, but he was a horrible father. He wasn't raising his kids right. He wasn't teaching them right from wrong. He wasn't giving them godly discipline. We've got an epidemic in our country today of, of homes where kids are, are not being raised by both of their parents. And sometimes it's not the parent's fault. But the reality is, God's highest is for mom and dad to raise the kids together, if possible. Can I get an amen to that? And so Amnon had been, you know, he's, he, they have different moms, and they're all scattered about, and David's not really focusing on them. Amnon kills his sister, nothing happens rapes his sister, excuse me. Absalom, after two years, is angry. So Absalom finally entraps his brother Amnon for raping their sister, and he kills him. David still doesn't say too much. Absalom spends three years on the run, kind of hiding out from David, doesn't want to have to stand in front of his dad and face the consequences of murdering his brother. Finally, after three years, uh, Joab kind of tricks David into allowing him to come back. He comes back, but then he ignores his son for another two years. He's living in the same town. The palace where David lived was the focal point of the city. And here's Absalom looking at his dad every day and seeing, you know, the family having meals and being completely ignored. That's worse than being, uh, you know, on the outskirts, being cast away for three years. So in the last couple of chapters, Absalom's had it. He finally burns down Joab's field to get an audience with David. David, you know, kind of greets him and kisses him. And as soon as that happens, Absalom starts to plot how he can take the king away from his own fa- the kingdom away from his own father. And if you'll remember, he would stand down at the city gate. This is the place where uh, government took place. And uh, if you've ever been to Israel, I've been to Israel a few times. One of my favorite pictures is a picture of me and my dad sitting at the city gate. Uh, gate that, that Abraham had once set at, isn't that crazy? And so they would sit at that gate, and what would happen is, when you needed to have a decision made, they would go to the gate of the city, and they would inquire of the king or his representative. And King David was so busy, he was never at the gate, so Absalom went instead and said, oh, if I was the king, oh, I would side with you for sure. And he started drawing people away into himself. And then he, everywhere he would go, he would ride a chariot. He talked about how good-looking he was. He was tall and good-looking and had this thick head of hair. That's going to come into play in a couple chapters. But he's got this thick head of hair, and he's Rico Suave, and he, he'd have 50 guys running in front of him everywhere he went. And what he was doing was he was trying to sway the people to look at him like the king that's about to be king and to turn their eyes away from David, and he was drawing the people's passions away into himself. Last time in chapter 16, and we saw that Absalom took away the kingdom from his dad. David got word that the people had aligned with him, that he was on his way to Jerusalem, and David knew if he stayed, either he would die or his son would die, and he didn't want either of those things to happen. He also knew that, that the, the battle would take place in Jerusalem, and he didn't want Jerusalem to be a city with a big bloodbath. So what did he do? David fled. David is the rightful king. He's got a son who is a murderer, but David doesn't feel like he can speak out against him because he's a murderer. Just like David couldn't speak out against his son's sexual immorality because he too is a sexually immoral guy. 
I pray that we don't live in such a way that we feel disqualified to discipline our kids. Can I get an amen to that? So here he is, Absalom is coming, and David leaves Jerusalem behind, and he takes with him his mighty men who were traveling with him when he was running from Saul before he became, you know, officially the king. He had been anointed but not appointed yet as king. Absalom now has come into the city. David had to walk away. He looked back at the city. He wept. He is now in the hills of Jordan, on the, right, right, right by the Jordan River, about to leave the land of promise to go out into the wilderness, and Absalom is now in the palace. And if you'll remember last week, a man by the, by the name of Hushai wanted to stay with David, and David said, I want you to go back, because Ahithophel, who had been his advisor, was now advising Absalom. And he knew that the man was very wise, and he wanted him to go and basically spy on him, and try to destroy his counsel. The first counsel we saw Ahithophel give was he told David, what a mess this is, I mean, he told Absalom to take David's concubines and go up on the rooftop and to pitch a tent and to have, uh, be physically intimate with every one of his concubines in the sight of all the people, which would show them that he shows total disdain for his father by taking away uh, the concubines is such a problem. They're basically mistresses that everybody recognizes who they belong to. That's a train wreck. Can I get an amen? But in doing so, it breaks the relationship in most people's eyes for a lifetime. What Absalom has done is crossed the line. He's making everybody know, you're going to either side with me or you're going to side with my dad. I am now the king. He's on the run. Choose whose side you're going to be on because I have thrown the gauntlet on the ground and now I am the king. And there's nothing I won't do to banish my own father. So that brings us to chapter 17. If you have an outline, grab it. If you don't, they're out on the back table. I tell the message, we are indestructible until God is through with us. Because we're going to see that in the life of David. It looks like David is in big trouble. David has left behind the palace. David has left behind his army. David has left behind, uh, again, parts of his family. And David is now on the run with no real idea where his food's going to come from. Already at the top of, of uh, as he went through the brook Kidron and the top of the Mount of Olives, somebody came and met him and gave him some food. But now he continues to travel. He has no idea where he's headed. He has no idea what he's going to eat, how he's going to provide for his family. And Absalom is reigning in the palace. So the, four, the, the six things we'll look at. Number one, no one can harm us without God's permission. Did you know that's true? Did you know that nobody can touch you unless God says it's okay? Aren't you glad to hear that? Amen? And that means if, if it comes to us, it has to go through God's hand first. And if God allows it through his hand to come to me, then he wants to use it for his glory and to mold my character. And so we should praise him in the midst of trials. Amen? Count all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. It's a part of what God uses to help us grow spiritually. So number one, no harm can come to us without God's permission. Number two, the Lord will use others to divinely intervene on our behalf. Do you know that there's people that you don't really even understand how maybe they pray for you, they intercede on your behalf? And David's got a, that situation where he's far away, he has no idea what's going on, and we're going to see Hushai standing up for him. 
He's going to be interceding on behalf of David without David even knowing it. You know, there's one that intercedes on our behalf always. Who is that? Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for you. He's praying for you right now. Amen? He's interceding on our behalf. And as believers, sometimes we might feel alone. Sometimes we might feel like, man, this is really difficult. I've, I'm so isolated. Uh, you know, maybe with the COVID, I've just, I've just stayed home since March. And God bless you, and we love you, and we're glad we have live streams so we can minister to you. But that being said, you need to know that you are never alone. That he will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? And there, there are those who are intervening on your behalf. We'll see that in tonight's text. Number three. If God is for us, who can be against us? Isn't it no, good to know we're on God's side? Amen? Now, God's not on our side. We're on his side. Amen? We don't try to convince God to come over to our side. He's already on the right side. We just need to join him. Amen? And it's good to know that we're on the Lord's side and that our Lord is faithful. And he's an almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God. And no matter what's going on in the world around us, no matter how much chaos there is, he is at peace. You know, let's keep our eyes off the storm and keep our eyes on the Savior. Amen? And it's good to know that if God is for us, who can be against us? Number four, this is gnarly. The most selfish thing we can do is let the enemy win. What does Satan seek to do? What's the answer? Still kill and destroy. And we're going to see in tonight's text something we don't see all that often in Scripture. We see it in Scripture, but not all that often. And someone's going to commit suicide. And we're going to address that because it's in this chapter tonight. And you know who wins when someone commits suicide? The devil. Can I get an amen? amen. He wants you dead. He hates you. He wants you dead. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your relationship with the Lord. He wants to destroy your relationship with your children. He, he, that's what he wants. He just seeks destruction. And when we uh, go to a place of despair, and we even think about that, it's the enemy who's trying to cause us to head in that direction. We'll, just, we'll address that. Number five. We're indestructible until God is through with us. We're talking about preparing for battle. So David's going to be preparing for battle in tonight's text, and so is Absalom. And we're going to see them preparing in two very different ways. I put that verse there that some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. See, when we get to this text, Absalom has the army behind him. Absalom has the generals, for the most part, behind him. Absalom has the... the Jerusalem. Absalom has the charisma. Absalom has the good looks. Absalom seems to have everything he could possibly need as a king. And you know what David has? He has the Lord. And he prays. And he's going to cry out to God. Guys, you plus God is a majority. Amen? And we need to be reminded that when we prepare to go into battle, far more important than all that physical stuff that we think may help us, what we really need is we need the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, and we need to walk in the center of the Lord's will and know that He is with us in the midst of the storm. Amen? And then finally, even the simplest blessings can minister to others in a really big way. We're going to see David once again in a position of desperation, and we're going to see three men that they're only mentioned in the Bible, this one place. And what they're going to do is they're going to show up and take care of the physical needs 
of those people traveling with David. And in God's eyes, that's so significant that it's written down in the Bible. Amen? And sometimes it's those simple things. You know, mowing somebody's lawn, bringing somebody a meal, uh, you know, helping somebody with their finances, whatever it might be, it's sometimes it's those small things that will have the greatest impact on drawing somebody to the Lord. Amen? Just showing up and loving on them in Jesus' name. So let's begin there. In 2 Samuel 17, we are indestructible until God is through with us. Look at verse 1. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Now let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. So Ahithophel's first counsel was to bring all the concubines up on the rooftop and to defile them and, and let everyone else see it. Now, Ahithophel, they would say of him that his advice was as like the oracles of God. When he would speak, the people would elevate what he said, the value of what he said, as being equal to God speaking. And so when Ahithophel gave him the lousy advice in the last chapter, it seemed out of character. Now this time, Ahithophel is going to step up, and now that he was once the advisor to David, and now he's the advisor to Absalom. And we're going to see in tonight's chapter that Ahithophel, in my mind, is a type or a picture of Satan. Because he once stood with the rightful king, and now he stands against the rightful king. He's going to say in a few verses, I, 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 I. Who does that in the Bible? Satan does. I will be like the Most High. I, I. So he's being Satan-like. His Allegiance is for sale. So he tells Ahithophel, look, I will go tonight with 12,000 men and we'll track down David. Absalom, you don't even need to leave the palace. I'll go get him for you. Now Ahithophel wants David dead desperately because Ahithophel knows if David survives, Ahithophel's in trouble. Because Ahithophel was once one of the right-hand men to David and now he is fighting on the side of the enemy. That's called a traitor, amen? And he knew if anything happens, see, he was egging his uh, Absalom on to be physically intimate with the concubines because he knew that would sever David and, and Absalom's relationship forever. And that's what he wanted. He didn't want them to ever come back together because if they did, he was going to be in trouble. So the first thing he says is, I will go out. I'll go out. Give me 12,000 men, verse 2. I will come upon him while he is weary and weak and make him afraid, and all the people who are with him will flee, and I will strike, the, I will strike only the king. Notice, I will come upon him. I will arise. I will strike only. Now notice what he says, only the what? Wait a minute, who's he talking about? Who, who says he's the king at this point? Who thinks he's the king at this point? Absalom. He's serving Absalom. Slip a tongue here, amen? Could have got him in some serious trouble. I will kill only the king. Dude, I'm the king. What are you talking about? Right? But the reality is that David is the king. And Absalom is somebody who's come in to try to take his kingdom away. But God is the one who raises men up and sets men down. And God has not set him down. So David is the rightful king, and Absalom is just a temporary imposter. And even Ahithophel, this man of great wisdom, 
understands that. Verse 3, that I will bring back all the people you know. When all return except the man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace. Here's what he's saying. Absalom, here's what I need to do. I'm going to raise up an army. I'm going to pursue David tonight. I don't want to give him a chance to take a breath. I'm going to find him while he's weak. I'm going to find him while he's weary. I'm going to find him before he has a chance to regroup. And I'm going to take care of him tonight. I'm going to catch up to him before he leaves the land of promise. They knew that David could hide in the wilderness really well. Didn't he do that before? Wasn't he hiding from Saul for a very long time? And he was able to get away with it? So he's like, look, i got to go find this guy before he gets to the wilderness. And I'm going to bring him back today. I'm going to kill him, bring him back today, and then all the people will be at peace because there will be no more conflict between you and the king, David. Basically, he's saying, don't give him time to rest. Don't give him time to regroup. Don't give him time to pray. Just give me 12,000 men, and I'm going to go get him right now. Now, from a military perspective, is this a good plan? It's a great plan. It's a great plan. David had moments, and all of a sudden, he was out of the palace. David has lost his army. David you know, has lost a lot of his advisors. David has no idea where he's going. As far as they know, David doesn't even have any food. You know, the best time to go after a guy is when he's in a point of weakness. And Ahithophel comes forward and says, this is what we need to do. I'll bring all the people back. You know, he lets them know, I'm only going to, once I kill him, they'll have nobody to follow. And we'll just bring them all back, and then you'll rule over all the people. You'll rule over David's mighty men, they'll become Absalom's mighty men. You'll bring them all back, and you'll be the true king. There'll be no threat to the throne. Won't it be wonderful? Let me go do this for you. He says, I'm going to go and make him afraid. The only way that David could ever be afraid is if he's not the David who fought Goliath. Can I get an amen? Was David afraid of Goliath? Not one bit. David saw a puny man against a great God, not a giant against a small man. And so he says, I'm going to make him afraid. Well, if we're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Amen? We have nothing to be afraid of. We don't have to walk around being petrified. Fear, fear is the opposite of faith. Fear, anxiety, and worry. Now, again, we all can have those for a moment. I get it. But you know what? We need to run to the Lord when that happens. Because, guys, that doesn't come from God. That comes from the flesh. That comes from the enemy. And he says, I'm going to make David afraid. Boy, this guy feels pretty good about himself. Ahithophel. I will strike only the king, referring to David. How is he going to get to David? He thinks he's going to go right through all his mighty men, and he's going to get to David and not have to shed anybody else's blood, and he's going to kill David on this spot and then just bring the rest of the bride back to the king. So here's his plot. Let's pursue him immediately. Let's do it while he's weak and weary. Let's do it while he's isolated, while he's on the run and has no clear direction. We will strike him with fear. We will cause those closest to him to him to, him, to abandon him. We will strike only the king. There'll be as little bloodshed as possible. We'll bring all the fugitives home. And once David is dead, there'll be no more division within the city. The civil war will be over. So again, from the world's perspective, this is great advice. Now, you'll remember that David prayed a prayer when he was being kicked out of the city or when he was fleeing from the city. And the prayer that he prayed was, Oh Lord, please confuse, paraphrase, 
Please confuse Ahithophel's counsel. Make it foolishness. Now, the first thing he did was foolish with the concubines. But now, this is strong and, and solid counsel. But watch how God is going to answer David's prayer. Notice it says in verse 4, And the saying pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. So, it looks like that's what they're going to do. Because Absalom in the last time did not question sleeping with all the concubines. He just did it. And now this is actually solid advice. So certainly he's just going to do it again. But again, as we see point number one there, no, no one can harm us without God's permission. And watch what happens here as, as Absalom is going to respond. But even though it pleases him, even though he likes the plan and he likes what he's hearing... And all the wise men around him agree with him. Look at verse 5. Then Absalom, now call Hushai, the archite, and let us hear for what he says too. So he's asking for a second opinion. Now who is Hushai? Who's, whose secret agent is Hushai? David. King David, when Hushai wanted to go with them, said, I want you to go back and stay in Israel, and I want you to find out what's going on, and then I want you to let me know what's going on, and I also want you to do everything you can to ruin whatever plans Ahithophel comes up with. Is this a divine appointment right here? Did God just bring Hushai and just stick him in the perfect place to be at the very perfect moment? Because see, the plan was perfect, but no one can touch David unless God says so. And as they're getting ready to head out, Absalom has a change of heart. And Absalom says, well, let's find out what Hushai thinks. Let's bring him in here and see what he has to say. I love this. So point number one there was no one can harm us without God's permission. Point number two that started in verse five, the Lord will use others to divinely intervene on our behalf. Look what happens in verse six. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him, saying, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner, shall we do what he says, if not, speak up. He's asking the guy that David told to go and do one thing, make sure that Ahithophel's advice doesn't happen. So as he's describing to him, Ahithophel thinks we should get 12,000 men. Ahithophel says we should go by night right now. Ahithophel says we should get him when he's weak and weary. Ahithophel, Ahithophel says that he's just going to go up and just kill David and wipe him out. And then all of his people will flee from him and they'll all come home and all be king and the civil war will be over and there'll be no conflict. What do you think, Hushai? Now, he knows he's going to disagree with anything Ahithophel said because that's what he's supposed to do. But he's got to come up with an alternative. Now the Holy Spirit is upon Hushai, and he is going to speak through him. Good advice from Ahithophel. Absalom and all the elders agree, but God intervenes. And I love when God intervenes. Can I get an amen? Verse 7. So Hushai said to Absalom, the advice that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. You know, right now, not really the right time. I don't think we should do this right now. What's he trying to do? Buy time for David. Can I get an amen? David just ran for his life with his family. 
David is out headed toward the wilderness. David does not have his whole army with him. David doesn't have his entire family with him. He doesn't know where his food's coming from. Hushai's like, well, I'm just going to put the brakes on this because if they run out there tonight, David's in trouble because David's not ready. So he just says to him, hey, this is not the right time to do what he wants to do. Verse 8. For said Hushai, you know your father and his men that they are mighty men. And they are enraged in their minds, like a bear robbed of her cubs in a field. And your father is a man of war and will not camp with the people. Now, he had been with David, and he knew that wasn't the case. But he's saying, he's telling him things that are true about David's character, but not at the moment. Was David a man of war? What's the answer? Was David somebody who would fight anybody? What's the answer? Was David a mighty king? Saul has slayed his thousands, and David is tens of thousands. And he said, David's not going to sleep. David's not going to rest. If you come after him, you're going to be in trouble. Like a, like some, a bear that stole, the, you know, someone stole a bear's cubs, he's going to tear you up if you go after David right now. Right now, he's just thinking about how he's going to tear you up when you get there. Not true. David's weary. David doesn't know where his next meal is coming from. But he's sharing this in a way like he's on Absalom's side. Hey, Absalom, let me protect you for a minute. You know those mighty men he has? Those are pretty bad dudes. They've already won a bunch of wars, those guys. They're not a bunch of rookies. They're upset. They know that you're the reason they're out of the temple, they're out, that you're out of, we're out of the palace. They've been thrown out of the city. Boy, you, you send your people down there, they're going to tear them up. You might want to wait for a minute. You know what? You need a bigger army. You know what? Gather people from all over Israel. And you know what that's called? Getting more time. Can I get an amen? You know what? You should get people from every tribe. You should send messengers out. We'll wait till they all get here. Then we'll go. In the meantime, he's giving David an opportunity to get away. He tells him the plan. He needs wisdom to give him an alternative plan. And he lets him know your dad is a man of war. He says he won't camp with the people. If you go to try to find your dad, he's not going to be with the people. He's not going to be sitting with the people. You know what he's going to do? He's going to say this in a few verses. He's probably going to be hiding in a pit somewhere. And when you come by, he's just going to jump out and kill everybody that's out there. You better watch out for him. He's a bad dude. You remember your dad? He killed Goliath, 11 foot 750, all by himself when he was 13. What do you think is going to happen if you go out there going after him? He's going to tear you up. Don't go. He's doing his job, amen? He's doing everything he can to keep him from coming and to protect David. Look at verse 9. Here's what he says. Surely by now he is hidden in some pit or some other place. Then it will be when some of them are overthrown at first that whoever hears it will say, there is a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. He says, if you send your people out there, David's going to be ninja on them, man. He's going to be jumping out and slicing throats and killing people. And when they see dead bodies on the side of the road, they're going to say, Absalom's people are getting torn up and people are going to become afraid on your army and they're all going to run home. I Don't send them out there. That's a bad idea. Hushai's a salesman. Can I get an amen? Poor David, man. He's tore up. He's weak and he's weary and he's making him sound like, man, if you even think about going out there, you're dead. Don't mess with David. We know David doesn't want to kill his son. He has no desire to do that. But his heart is broken because of the things that his son has done. Verse 10. And even he who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt completely. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and those who are with him are valiant men. 
12,000, here's, here's what he's saying. 12,000 guys, not enough. You go out there with 12,000, they're going to tear you up, bro. Don't do it. You need to get a bigger army. Ahithophel's plan is fine, but not yet. You need more people. You remember who you're fighting? Mightiest warrior on the planet. That's your dad. He raised you. You know better. You know the stories. He's the mightiest king who's ever been in Israel. That's your father. Oh, by the way, he's got a bunch of mighty men just like him. They will tear you up. 12,000 people is not enough. And so he's, he's attacking their plan to give David more time. He's actually intervening on David's behalf by speaking of his strength instead of tearing him down. And you know that that's how we intervene on behalf of others? We don't tear them down. We don't attack them. Can I get an amen to that? We encourage them. We bless them. We speak on their behalf as believers. You know, no corrupt word should ever come out of our mouth, but that which is edifying for the hearer. Amen? We should be doing nothing but encouraging each other and loving on each other and ministering to each other. If you're here and you've been here more than once, I've already told you I love you, and I'll tell you I love you every time I see you. Because I do. Amen? Are we not family? It's been said the blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit's thicker than blood. And we got Jesus in common, we got everything in common. Amen? And so he's got this heart for David. And he's got a, a passion for him. And God brought a divine appointment. And David sent him. And he was waiting and ready for whenever that divine appointment came that he was going to step up. Guys, we need to pray for divine appointments. And then we need to pray that when they come that we'll have boldness to step up. Can I get an amen? How many of you have had a divine appointment come right in front of you and you just let it go by because you were afraid? My hand's up. Anybody else? The divine appointment came and have a have right? And you just walk right by it. And the reality is we need to pray that God brings divine appointments, which he'll bring every day. We also need to pray for boldness. This was a lot of boldness on Hushai's part. Nobody probably had ever said that Ahithophel's counsel was wrong. Probably the first time that, that he ever heard that in his life. They said Ahithophel was like God speaking. So when he spoke and Hushai disagreed, it was the first time for everything. But Hushai was unafraid because he was doing it for the Lord and for the king. David's men were distraught, downtrodden, before they joined David, and they have become these mighty men. I will say this, David's mighty men are loyal to David. Can I get an amen? None of them, when he, when he left the palace, you don't see one of them hanging back. David, wherever you go, I'm going with you. Lord, wherever you go, I'm going with you. Wherever the Lord wants us to go, wherever the Lord wants us to be, wherever he wants to lead us, whatever, however he wants us to minister to the cities around us, Lord, we want to walk in the center of your will. We want to obey you. And that was the heart of his mighty men. Everyone knows about mighty David and his mighty men. And you think you're going to go up and, and kill or capture David without a civil war, you better think again. I like Hushai. I like this guy. I like this guy. Verse 11, therefore, I advise that all Israel be fully gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba. Dan is the northernmost port of Israel. If you go to Israel today, they take you up to Dan and they have headwaters. It's beautiful in Dan. And then the southernmost part is Beersheba. So when they're talking about all of Israel, they'll say from Dan to Beersheba. And so here's what he says. You need to gather all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba. How long do you think that's going to take? 
That'd be like saying, let's gather all of California and have a meeting at the Colosseum. How long is that going to take? He's doing this to give more time to David. He's doing this so David can pray, so David can be prepared, so David can wait upon the Lord, so David can find a place to settle. And he puts out this plan, and he says it with authority and boldness. And he says there, don't take any chances, basically. 12,000 guys isn't enough. I advise that all of Israel be fully fully gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba, like the sand that is by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle in person. By the way, Absalom, don't let Ahithophel go out with 12,000 guys. You need to bring all of the men together and all of Israel, and then you lead them. Now, whose pride is he playing on right now? Absalom's. Absalom, wouldn't it be amazing if you led an army that defeated the most mighty warrior in the history of Israel, your father? Sounds like Luke and Darth Vader or something, right? <laughs> Kill my father, right? And so here he is, and he's in his mind, it's playing, it's playing to his, you know, his pride. Yeah, well, if Ahithophel leads, I'll be sitting back here, and I didn't really do anything, and he's right. But, you know, if I'm going to go out and fight him, I, damn, I need hundreds of thousands of guys, I want to overwhelm him. I want us to show up and have them be scared half to death. So yeah, you're right. 12,000 men isn't enough. Not against those mighty warriors. As David's probably sitting under a tree somewhere trembling because of what's been going on in his life. Absalom knew his father's reputation as a mighty warrior. Everybody knew he had slayed a giant. Everybody knew he defeated all of Israel's enemies, and Absalom knew there was no way he could replace the mightiest of warriors in all of Israel if he didn't become a warrior himself. At this point, we don't know if Absalom has ever picked up a sword in his life. Crown princes didn't do much. They just stayed home and stayed safe while the king went out and led battles. And so now Absalom's manhood's kind of being challenged by Hushai. And Absalom is going to step up and go, yeah, that's a great plan. That's a great idea. Let's do that. Hithophel's not going to like it much because the first time in his life he's being told no. Look at verse 12. So he came upon him and the multitude that go into the battle in person, so you should go out in person. And he says, so we will come upon him in some place where he may be found, and we will fall on him as the dew falls to the ground, and of him and all the men who are with him there shall not be left so much as one. So instead of Ahithophel's plan, which was to sneak up and kill David and then bring back all of his people to serve you, we're going we're gonna to all go in mass. We're going to sneak up on him. We're going to wipe out David and everybody that follows him. We're going to put them all to death, and we're going to put an end to this war. And Absalom, he doesn't say it here, they'll be shouting your name instead of your dad's name. And Absalom is slayed as tens of thousands. And Absalom slayed the mighty warriors. And Absalom is getting puffed up. You know, the Bible tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And Absalom is listening to these praises. By the way, if you're the king and people praise you, you got to kind of wonder always if it's legit. Can I get an amen? They just want a position. They just want some authority. They just want you to bless them somehow. How do you really know if they really mean it? Look at verse 14. Verse 13, moreover, if he has withdrawn into a city, then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city, and we will pull it into the river until there's not one stone found found there. They're they're no joke. Here's what he's saying. We're going to have so many guys that if he goes into a city, we're just going to put ropes around each stone of that city and drag drag it into the sea. 
I don't even know how you do that, but the point he's making is there's going to be no place for David to hide. Our army's going to be so great. Our army's going to be so strong. David will have no place to hide. Now again, has anybody prayed anywhere in this chapter? Has anybody mentioned the Lord at all? It's all this mono mono thing. It's all this, this is what we should do, and it's all the wisdom of men. And they're all trusting in the strength that they have that comes from, again, just the physical rather than focusing on the Lord. So how does Absalom respond? So he's heard of Hithophel's plan. I'll go out tonight. I'll take 12,000 guys. David will be dead by morning. I'll bring all the people back. The war will be over. Sounds like a great plan. Actually, it was a very good plan. It probably would have been very successful. Absalom calls for Hushai. Hushai says, oh, no, no, no. Don't do that. We need to put the brakes on. We need to gather a much bigger group of people. It's going to take, I don't know, days or weeks or whatever it's going to take. We'll get all those people together. So we won't have 12,000. We'll have hundreds of thousands. We'll bring them all together. And then Absalom, not hit the fell. He's not going to go out and fight the battle. You're going to go out because you're the king. And that way you'll get all the credit and you'll get all the glory. I wonder which one of the programs he's going to pick. <laughs> Verse 14. So Absalom said, and all the men of Israel said, the advice of Hushai the archite is better than the advice of Ahithophel. For the Lord had purposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. Now, the quote says, his advice is better than Ahithophel's. And then the rest of the verse is God cluing us in. Look what it says. For the Lord had purposed to defeat Defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. See, guys, sometimes we think that God has checked out. Sometimes we think we're fighting a battle on our own. Do you know that the Lord is always involved? Can I get an amen? He loves you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He knows exactly what you're going through. He's not surprised by it, and you're not walking alone through it. And so even with all this that's taking place, in the end, it is God's will that will be done. It's not what uh, Ahithophel wants. It's not what Hushai wants. It's not what Absalom wants. It's what God wants. God is in control, and I am so, so thankful for that. You know, it says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Isn't it good to know that no matter what happens in November or in any November or any election after it or any local election, whoever's in the White House, whoever is in the governor's mansion, whoever's anywhere, isn't it good to know that it ultimately doesn't matter because God is still on the throne? God is still God and no one can vote him out of office. He's the King of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God, and we just put our faith and our hope and our trust in him. We should go out and vote. Uh, They believe that's what we should do as Christians. We should vote biblically, but you know what? After we vote, we leave it in God's hands, and we trust that he's in control. Amen? Absalom overthrew David, but God is still in control, and God's plan is going to come about. This answers the prayer I mentioned earlier from 2 Samuel 15, when David said, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom, and David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And then the next verse, he, he asked to bring Hushai to him, and he sent Hushai to go up and 
uh, intervene on his behalf. God answered his prayer. Amen? He prayed that Ahithophel's counsel would appear as foolishness and that they would not heed his counsel. And it was great counsel. It was the counsel that would have more than likely brought them victory from just a physical perspective. God's in control. And now we see just again how God answers prayer. Now at this point, David knows none of this. David is 20 miles away. He's right on the border of the Jordan, about to leave the land of promise and go back out into the wilderness. And they couldn't text each other. Can I get an amen? They couldn't do FaceTime to figure out what was going on. So, it's, so the next few verses, we're going to see that the word is going to be sent to David. Now all of what's happening in tonight's chapter is a preparation for the next couple of chapters. Tonight's chapter is just everybody lining up for war. Everybody getting in their places to see what's about to happen next. Now again, the war could have been over if they'd gone with the Hittifel's plan. By the time Hushai's done uh, sharing what he has shared, he could have been halfway to David with 12,000 guys. And David would have been in trouble if the Lord didn't intervene. And so in this situation, we're in a, we're, they're just mounting up. We have no idea how this is going to turn out if we were living in that moment in that time. But Absalom seems to have it all on his side. He's got the greatest army. He's captured the city. He has the king's palace. He has the wisest calendar, uh, counselors. He has the upper hand in battle. Along with that, he's got the good looks, the charisma, the strong stature, and he's got the votes of the people. The people are standing behind him for the most part and not David. David is an aging king. He has God on his side and he can pray. This is a total mismatch, but not in the way you think. If we just look at the army, oh, it's got to be Absalom. If we just look at uh, how the people, who the people are lining up behind, oh, it's got to be Absalom. If we just look at the stature of the two men, oh, it's got to be Absalom. If we looked at the charisma of the two men, oh, it's got to be Absalom. So everything we're looking at, the counselors on his side, oh, it's got to be Absalom. Guys, you plus God is a majority, amen? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so if God's on our side, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Point number three, God is for us. Again, who can be against us? Look at verse 15. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abathar, the priests, thus and so Ahithophel advised Absalom and his elders of Israel, and thus and so I have advised. Now therefore send quickly and tell David, saying, do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Now, he has said that he wants to go with his plan, but he still tells David to be prepared in case they go with Ahithophel's plan. Amen? He's using wisdom to say, look, I know that what I have told him he has agreed to, but if he changes his mind while I'm asleep tonight, David, you need to get out of the land now. And David, you need to cross over and get out into the wilderness so that you and your entire family are not destroyed. So, so Zadok, was, uh, they were high priests, and there were other fellows that were uh, friendly to David. 
And they're going, to, they're going to be runners. Here's what's happening. They're going to be seeing a few verses. They're camped out less than a mile from Jerusalem, and they're just waiting. They have no idea how long it's going to take, and they're waiting. And then the word's going to come to them, and these guys are going to run 20 miles to David to deliver the message, whatever that message may be. And again, I love, when you read through the stories in the Bible, do you ever notice that there's more than just the key figures? There's a lot of other people that God's using. Praise God for guys who are sitting and waiting, not knowing that it's going to be hours or days or weeks, so they can just run and deliver a message to David. God bless them, because if they don't deliver it, all that Hushai does is worthless. Can I get an amen to that? We don't have as much of it here, but our church in Santa Cruz, it took like four hours to set up church. And there were people showing up at 5.30 in the morning to get church ready for the 10 o'clock service. They'd get done at 9.30 and run home and come back. And, and the reality is that very few people saw them. But if they didn't do what they're called to do, we didn't have church. Amen? And sometimes we focus on you know, the main people in the story. But I always love to see how in a small way you got these two guys that are just waiting. They're not, they're not leaving their posts. However the Lord wants to use me, I'm in. You know, the number one ability for, to be used by the Lord is availability. Amen? If you're just, Lord, here I am, send me. That's a person God will use every time. Lord, whatever you want, whatever you need, I'm in. Children's ministry, I'm good. You need help to, with tech, I'm good. You need someone to come and vacuum floor, I'm in. You need someone to minister to the youth group, I can do that. You want, whatever you need, Lord. You want to open my house for baptism, let's do that. Lord, I'm in. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one thing to show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. And I love these two men who are just there waiting and going to be ready to run and bring the news to David. Now watch what happens as we continue reading. It says there in verse 16, Now therefore sin quickly, do not spend the night in the plains or in the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest the king and all his people who are with him be swallowed up. Now, Jonathan and Ahamiah stayed in Enrogel. So Enrogel, if you look on a map, an old map from those days, is less than a mile from Jerusalem. It's on the outskirts. It's just, uh, 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 just on the other side of the Mount of Olives. They dared not be seen coming into the city, so a female servant would come and tell them, and they would go and tell King David. Again, these men just waited, not knowing how long it would take, Guys, for a lot of us, the hardest thing we, can ever, we ever have to do is wait. Can I get an amen to that? I'd rather God just tell me no than wait. You know, he says yes, he says no, and he says wait. Amen? No, I can get it. I can move on with my life. Often what he tells us is to wait upon him. So they're in that place, and in Rogel, they get the word brought to them. Uh, they're staying just out of sight of town to avoid being detained by Absalom's people. This is faithfulness in, in action as they simply wanted, waited patiently until they were needed and they were willing to risk their lives again for the sake of the Lord and his people. And again, because of their availability, they're used mightily by the Lord. You know, it's important that we not only know the truth, but that we get it to the people that need to hear it. Can I get an amen? Hushai knows the truth, but they still need to get it to the people that need to hear it, David and all his people. Guys, it's one thing to know the gospel. There's a lot of people that need to hear it. Can I get an amen? And we must not be ashamed of the gospel. We must not keep it to ourselves. And I love this heart and this example that we see here in these men willing 
to run 20 miles to tell King David. Verse 18, nevertheless, a lad saw them and told Absalom, but both of them went away quickly and came to a man's house in Baharum, who had a well in its court, and they went down into it. So they were doing everything they could to keep this a secret so that Absalom didn't find out that they were going to be delivering a message to David. Some young lad happened to see them, and these men did not quit. They did not give up. They ran some distance away, and they saw a well, and they climbed down into a well. That's commitment. Can I get an amen? They could have just said, hey, I don't know what you're talking about. They could have, but no, they wouldn't do that. They were called to do something, and they're going to do it at any cost. Again, even as we're under attack, feeling alone and deserted, there are always those who serve the Lord who will come alongside us. Here, what's crazy is they're running along, and there's a man who doesn't mind them getting in their well. And that man knows that once those guys climb in the well, if they're found there, he could die too. Because now he has sided with King David. Do you remember when the priests gave King David some loaves of bread? What did Saul have done to all those priests? Had them all put to death. And they were lied to. They simply gave David a little bit of bread. So along the way, we're going to see that there continue to be people who don't agree with Absalom, who God has a calling on their life, and when they see that David has need, they're going to step up to help him. Guys, that's a mark of spiritual maturity, is when you see someone has need, and you're willing to step up and help them. Look at verse 19. Then the woman took and spread covering over the well's mouth and spread ground grain on it, and the thing was not known. So not only did they they bring them in, but they hid them. I love again that we're indestructible until God's through with us. God has a way of keeping us safe when he wants to. Verse 20. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, where is Ahamaz and Jonathan. So the woman said to them, they have gone over the water brook. And when they had searched, they could not find them, and they returned to Jerusalem. Reminds me of Rahab. Remember Rahab? Remember her rescuing the two apostles and hiding them in her household and then lowering them down in the basket? This woman is doing the same. She's putting her life on the line to get a message to King David because, again, the Holy Spirit must have stirred her up to know that that is what she needed to do. And she responds in obedience to it. Not very many people want to lay down their lives like this. You know, as believers, we say we'll lay down our lives, but we won't even open our mouth to share our faith. Amen? I, I doubt that we'll really be willing to die for the Lord if we're not even willing to speak up for the Lord. Amen? We need to be unashamed of the gospel. He hung on a cross for us. We should be speaking with boldness for him. Look at verse 21. Now it came to pass, after they had departed, that they came up out of the well and went and told King David. And David said, Arise, cross over very quickly, for thus has Ahithophel advised against you. Here's what he says. He gets up and says, Ahithophel, if, if they get his way, if he changes the king's mind, they'll be here any time. We got to go. So all the people get up, and they're going to leave the land of promise to go out into the wilderness. You guys were here when we went through Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Do you remember it? They had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years to get into the land of promise. This is the land that God had promised to them. David is the anointed king, and David is fleeing for his life. We know this is not God's highest. 
But we see David running because he does not want to have to confront his son. I truly believe if, he, if his son had come to the palace and David had just stayed, uh, David would have wiped him out because God's on his side. Amen? But David did not want to kill his son. David wanted things the way they should be, but he also didn't want to have to harm his son in the meantime. Verse 22. So David and all the people who were with him arose, crossed over the Jordan, by morning light, not one of them was left who had not gone over the Jordan. Now, something really important for us to see here in verse 22. David gets godly advice, and David does it immediately. Amen? Sometimes we get godly advice, and we'll, well, I'm praying about it. I'm, I'm, I'm taking it to the Lord. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm whatever. When the Lord tells us to go, the meat, go! Amen? Yes, Lord, is the response. You can't say no, Lord, because he's not Lord if you said no. Amen? So it's yes, Lord. And I love when David's called to do it, David says, yes, Lord. And they got up and they went. And he left the land of promise. That's a big barrier for them, walking back over the Jordan. Remember that the water parted. When they put their feet into the river, when Joshua put his foot into the river, the water parted. When the priests put their feet into the the water parted. And here now, they're going back out. They're leaving the, leaving the land that God gave them, but they know that God is instructing them. And he doesn't understand what's going to happen next. And guys, we don't have to understand what happens next. We just have to trust that God understands, and we can trust him. Amen? I have no idea how long this COVID thing's going to go. And anybody who says they do is lying, because we don't. Can I get an amen? We don't know. We're going to be safe spacing at church and wearing masks outside, probably for a while. It's okay. God knows, and he's the only one that matters. Can I get an amen? And if God wants to use this to bring us to our knees, to keep us humble, broken, and desperate, then so be it. Now watch what happens. Verse 23 seems to come out of nowhere. This is a crazy verse. Look what happens in verse 23. Now when Ahithophel saw that his advice would not, advice would not be followed, he saddled a donkey and arose and went home to his own house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died. How many of you saw that coming? I didn't get my way, I quit. Do you think he went home and killed himself because they didn't take his advice? I don't think so. Let me tell you why I believe he hangs himself. I believe he knows that if they take Hushai's advice, and Absalom goes out and leads them into battle, they're going to lose. And David's going to win. And David's going to be back. And Ahithophel's going to be in trouble. We talk a lot about suicide. It's mentioned you know, a handful of times in the Bible. But I want to make this really clear, and you have to be balanced when you talk about suicide. Suicide is sin. Can I get an amen to that? You're murdering yourself. Amen? Now, I, I, and I, I have to be cautious when I say it. It's not the unforgivable sin. Amen? You know, the Catholic Church teaches if you commit suicide, you go straight to hell. Well, that's not in the Bible. Can I get an amen to that? All right? Now, when I say that, though, 
I want to back that up by saying, but if you commit suicide, you are disobeying God. Amen? And you are doing what the enemy wants you to do. Amen? Now, unfortunately, I've been a pastor long enough that I've dealt with quite a few suicides. The one that always grips my heart the most. We had a young man at our church. His name was Dale. I mean, he's probably 40. And he had played professional baseball and had a lot of injuries, so he was in a lot of pain all the time. And he had married a young gal from uh, Russia. He brought to the United States. And they were going to our church, and she was adapting to our culture. And he was, you know, quite a bit older than her. She was like 23, he's like 40. And I was doing counseling with them a lot, just, you know, newly married, trying to help them. And we had a softball team, and on Friday night we played softball, and, and uh, he, even with a bad back, he was better than anybody we'd ever seen. He played for the Milwaukee Brewers. I think he had a slow-pitch softball. So what happened, though, was he told me afterward, hey, can the wife and I meet with you Sunday after church because we've got some financial stuff we need to go over? And I said, absolutely. So Saturday night, I'm in the office studying like I normally did. So every Saturday night, I would stay with my kids all day, go to all their Little League games. And then Saturday nights, I would go to the church office. This is before I, had a, I did not have a cell phone. So I was full-time at the church for a brief time, and I would go down to the church office, and about 2.30 in the morning, the phone rings at the church. That's not usually good. Sometimes it's someone just wanting to know what time we meet, and that's fine, and they're always shocked when I answer at 2.30 in the morning. But I answer the phone, and it's the sheriff's department. And the sheriff says, do you have a Mr. and Mrs. so-and-so at your church? And I said, yes. Well, the wife has asked that you would come because her husband took his own life tonight. So I go down to the house and actually help them carry his body out in a body bag. And I saw the bloody mess on the wall, his brain splattered on the wall, and my heart broke. Called several women in the church that came down and ministered to the wife. Now, this was the harder part. So I get home. I go back to the church office. I change the message completely. I'm going to teach a message on, on you know, if you're going through difficulty, we, need, we want to love on you. Don't keep this to yourself. So I go home. And I'm getting ready to leave. For, I've changed the message. It's 9 o'clock. I'm leaving for church. And I check the messages on my home phone. And on my home phone is a voice message. And it's, hey, Pastor D, I'm really, I, I don't think I can do this anymore. Please call me back. Please call me back. It was Dale. And he called me four times in a row. And then he killed himself. Now, again, I know it's not my fault. But I, my, I was heartbroken because I love this guy. And I felt like, man, if, if, I, if, if I had a cell phone or if I had a way for him to get a hold of me, maybe he would not have killed. Now again, God is sovereign. Can I get an amen? But it, it still, to this day, I'll think about him and I'll get tears in my eyes. I was weeping all the way to, all the way to church thinking, man. And I, I walked in and I told my assistant pastor, you get me a cell phone and it's going to be on every bulletin. It's going to be on every website. And now you know why I give out my cell phone to everyone. And, I, and since then, I've had four or five people that were suicidal where they plug me into those people, and praise God, none of them committed suicide. So we want to be available. Can I get an amen? Now, suicide, though, is the most selfish thing you can do because you're thinking only of your pain with no thought of the pain you're going to inflict on everyone else. Can I get an amen to that? We had a guy in our church in Santa Cruz also. He had, four, he had three young daughters. He too had started attending our church and had major back pain where he could not sleep. He was in pain all the time. And he would t- I'd have to talk him out of committing suicide about once a week. He'd come down to the church office and say, I'm doing it, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. 
And I tried everything from just putting my arm around him and loving on him to saying, what kind of selfish human being are you? You got, you got a four-year-old, a six-year-old, an eight-year-old daughter that need a dad. Amen? I moved up down here, and two weeks later, he committed suicide. And talking to his wife and his children, it's devastating. See, guys, when someone takes their own life it is the most selfish thing they can do because they are thinking only of themselves with no thought of all the people they're going to hurt. Amen? Ahithophel doesn't care at this point. He's plain ain't it awful because he knows now that more than likely David is going to win. He doesn't even know if he's going to win, and he takes his own life. This was a man in a position of authority. No one had ever questioned his word before. And so because he was upset, he goes and takes his own life. Guys, I want to encourage you. If you've ever thought about it, if that thought has ever run through your mind, you need to know that we love you. And if you do that, we will be hurting. And we don't want you to do that. And God doesn't want you to do that because that's what Satan wants you to do. Can I get an amen? And you know what? If you feel that way, don't be shy about it. We will not judge you. We will love on you. We will do everything we can to minister to you. And we will remind you how precious you are to us, how precious you are to the Lord. And we don't want to let the enemy win. Amen? And, hit, and here we have, hit the fellow just checks out. By the way, people that commit suicide, most of them have no idea what's waiting for them. Amen? So Ahithophel takes his own life. He hangs himself. Again, not because he's feeling hurt, but because he knew that David was probably going to be victorious and he did not want to have to face the man that he had betrayed. He would rather die in his own terms than face judgment for his treason. Now, have you guys ever heard of the book of Josephus? Anybody know who that is? It's not biblical canonized it's a historical writer who was a jewish man who wrote historical writings so we don't use them to live our everyday life and they're not you know canonized in scripture but he did have it's amazing when you read some of his history books how they confer what the bible has already taught us we know the bible is true but this just backs it just says again that it's true he wrote this he hit the fell on rejection of his vice got up on his donkey and rode away to his own country, calling his family together. He told them distinctly what advice he had given Absalom, and since he had not been, they had not been persuaded by it, he said he would evidently perish, and thus in, in no long time that David would overcome him and return his king, to his kingdom again. So he said it was better that he should take his own life away with freedom and mag- magnanimity then exposed himself to being punished by David in opposition to whom he acted entirely on behalf of Absalom. And now Absalom was going to die and he would quickly follow. See, the enemy will get into your mind and try to get you to make a decision to do something harmful to yourself. And I just want you to know that Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came that you might have life and life more abundant. Amen? And we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. Suicide is sin. It's not the unforgivable sin. But those who commit suicide have given in to Satan. They've let Satan win. Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. I believe he smiles every time somebody commits suicide. Uh, that should keep from committing suicide right there. Do you want to see Satan smile? Not me. Can I get an amen? I don't want to be a reason for him to have a grin on his face. Not only that, he has a lack of trust. 
Sometimes we take desperate steps and we probably shouldn't take any steps at all. We're afraid of the outcome, so we take things into our own hands. The Bible says to trust in the Lord and do good and dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Guys, God is in control and God is faithful, and that is never the choice that we should make to do harm to ourselves. God is the one that breathed life into us, and God and God alone should determine the last day that we have on this planet. Can I get an amen? So again, we're here because we love you, and I want to take some time to address that. We're almost done. Point number five, preparing for battle. Look at verse 24. It says he hanged himself, he died, and he was buried in his father's tomb. Then David went to Mahanaim, and Absalom crossed over the Jordan, he and all the men of Israel with him. So the whole army of Israel is with him. They went to every point of Israel. They've got all the guys, and now he's got a huge army behind him. It's not numbered here, but this huge army, not 12,000, a lot more than 12,000, and they have gone all the way to the, to the border, and now they too are going out into the wilderness to try and find David. So they're not just going to go home. Now, Mahanaim, I love this, because Mahanaim, back in Genesis 32, it was there that... Uh, Jacob was met by, by two camps, one for, his, one for his family and one of angels. And it was in that area that God opened his eyes and he was able to see an angelic host of warriors all around him. Now David is in the same place. You think there might have been some of the same folks around him? Can I get an amen to that? Now, David doesn't see it. The Bible says we battle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities and evil forces of darkness in high places. It is a spiritual battle that we fight. Do you know the Bible says we entertain angels unaware? Amen? And the reality is that even when we feel outnumbered, if God were to open up our eyes, we would realize that we are never, ever alone. Amen? God is for us. And so it's in that same city now. He's in that same city where God opened his eyes. Now he doesn't open his eyes, but he's in that same place. Verse 25. And Absalom made Amasa captain of the army instead of Joab. This Amasa was the son of the man whose name was Jithra, an Israelite, who had gone into Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zariah, Joab's mother. So Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. We're getting ready for the war that's coming up. So now he's got this huge army, and they're encamped in Gilead, which is not far from where David is. David has a smaller army, but David has now has been waiting upon the Lord. And if you come back next Thursday, we're going to see this battle start to take place. And again, we're going to see one that looks like his armory is overpowering. We're going to see one that has all the people behind him. We're going to see one that has more weapons and more chariots and more of everything else. And then we're going to see a mighty man of God who has prayer and God on his side. Has David been through this before? With Goliath. You know, every time we go through something, do you know God's not only using us in that, he's preparing us for another time we're going to go through something maybe even greater than that. Can I get an amen? No suffering is wasted. Whatever we go through, God will use to prepare us for what is next. I had no idea that it was this late. I apologize. Let's finish up. And then it says there in verse 26, 27, last point, even the simplest blessings can minister to others in a big way. Look what happens. Now what happened when David had come to Mahanaim, 
that Shobi, the son of Nahash, Rabbah of the, of the people of Amnon, and Mature, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar, and Brazelia, the Giladite, from Ragolim, brought beds and basins, earthen vessels, wheat, barley, and flour, parched grain, beans, and lentils, and parched seeds, honey and curds, sheep and cheese of the herd, for David and the people who are with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Do you think this was a wonderful sight when they looked up and saw these people coming? They're out in the middle of the wilderness. They're about to fight a great battle. They're on their own. They have no idea where their next meal is coming from. And now these three guys who are only in the Bible in this one place show up with enough not only to feed everybody there, but to sustain them for a good amount of time as they're out in the wilderness. Praise God for people who listen to the Holy Spirit and step out and help people who maybe not have even asked for it. Can I get an amen to that? Now, I know we're over on time, but the one that always, the reminder to me, when I was a young boy, uh, my dad pastored the First Baptist Church of Wilmington. I got saved in Mrs. Green's Sunday school class when I was four and a half years old at the First Baptist Church of Wilmington. Wilmington's down by Carson and Compton, and that's where I lived, and that's where I grew up until I was uh, 10 years old. And my dad was a pastor, and they paid him very, very little. And we would run out of food almost every month. And I remember as a little boy how it would break my heart that I couldn't play Little League because it cost $4 and we couldn't afford it. And so all my friends would go to Little League and I'd be sitting on the curb every day being bummed out because you know, that would go on for five months and I'd go watch them practice and, and all this stuff because my dad said, you can play one sport and you know it was going to be football. So I did that instead. But I just remember that we would always run out of food. And I remember one Sunday, my mom went into the cupboard and here's what we ate my whole time growing up. And now it's funny because my kids love it. We'd eat mac and cheese and pinto beans, every meal. And then on Sunday, we got mac and cheese, pinto beans, and tuna fish. You knew it was Sunday when we got tuna fish. And we did this the whole time I grew up. And I thought that's what everybody did, because that stuff was cheap. Can I get amen? And I remember one Sunday, we were getting ready to go to church, and my mom opened up the cupboard, and all we had left was one box of macaroni and cheese. And it was like the 27th, and we weren't getting paid again for four days. And I remember my mom was sitting on the floor and she was crying and I went out and asked her mom, and I was probably six or seven years old. My mom was strong. She said, it's okay, son. They never wanted us to see it. And I said, is all the, all the food we have left? And she just kind of shook her head and we went out and got in the car. And as we were driving home, our, our car was kind of quiet. My dad was staying late. My mom's driving with us home. And we get to the house and we go in the house and she goes to open the cupboard. You got the mac and cheese and somebody listened to the Holy Spirit. And when she opened that cupboard, Food was falling out. Somebody had come to our house and filled up our fridge, filled up, and we still don't know to this day, to God be all the glory. Can I get an amen? And I still remember there was otter pops in the freezer. <laughs> Somebody thought about the kids. Can I get an amen? But you know what? That was 50 years ago, and I still remember it. Amen? And so when the Lord moves on your heart to give someone a call or to go by their house and drop off some groceries on their doorstep or whatever the Lord is prompting you to do. Be sensitive to that. Can I get an amen? And you know what? These men didn't fight in the battle, but I think that these three men get as much credit for the battle as any warrior that fought in it. Can I get an amen to that? Because they came and nourished the guys and, and, and blessed them and ministered to them. And that's how the body of Christ ought to operate. You know what? The Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. He will show us and he will direct us how we can minister to others. Let's be faithful to that. Amen? 
Sorry I went over. We are just indestructible to God's through with us. No one can harm us without God's permission. The Lord will use others to divinely intervene on our behalf. If God is for us, who can be against us? The most selfish thing we can do is let the enemy win. Preparing for the battle, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. We're going to remember the name of the Lord our God. And remember that even the simplest blessings can minister to others in a really big way. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. I thank you for everyone's patience tonight. And Lord, I just ask, Lord, that your word would not return void. Lord, as we prepare for the battle that's about to take place in the next couple of chapters, Lord, we think about the battle that we face every day. It's a spiritual battle that we face as we go to the workplace, as we go out amongst people, as we're having meetings on Zoom, whatever we might be doing, Lord, give us an opportunity to be salt and light, to point people to you. So Lord, we thank you, we praise you that you never leave us nor forsake us, that you have won the battle, that you're in control, that you're a faithful God. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said...